Lean forward slightly. Look straight at the speaker. And listen with a sparkle in your eye. As though you might be thinking, gee, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard in all my life. Live from Hollywood, California, this is So I Married a Movie Hi, I'm Chrissy McQueen. Justin Winters is looking at me very strangely. I think it was because I was attempting to do some sort of alien song, but I went with some version of the Twilight Zone instead. Sorry about that. Welcome to So I Married a Movie Geek. Justin, what was that I was humming? I think it's something. I have no idea, but that happened, I guess. Come on. No? Did I just make it up? Alright. That's cool. Well, anyway, we saw alien movies this week. Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Super 8. What's that? Super 8 is an alien movie, you say? Yeah, I didn't know either. Justin. Justin? Yes. <laughs> uh, how many times would you say, approximately, mm-hmm. you've seen Close Encounters? Uh, I don't know. At least a dozen times. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you saw Super 8 twice. I did. Once without me and once with me. Yes. And if I may, your review of the first one was less than stellar. Okay, well, this is not about me. This is about what did you think of Super 8? It's, it's, well, no, it's about both of us. <laughs> but first, what did you think in general about Super 8? Oh, so we're going with Super 8 first as our first movie up. Mm-hmm. All right, Close Encounters, you're on deck. Uh, Super 8 was pretty good. I think it's interesting that certain people are like, this is the best movie to come around in years. Because I wouldn't say that, but I think that... Uh, This is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. I feel like there's kind of a clear delineation between what J.J. Abrams was doing and what Steven Spielberg was doing. I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but I feel like the movie was disjointed in a way. I know that Spielberg just produced it, but I feel like he had a heavy creative hand in it. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just feels that way in certain parts. Okay. I would say it was good but disjointed. Good but disjointed. Yeah. Okay. I kind of agree in some ways. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like the first uh, third of the film built up really nicely. The dialogue was was snappy. It didn't seem out of place for the kids to be saying what they were saying. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, three-year-olds talking like adults. They were 14 or so, and, and, you know, they had some snappy stuff. But then there were certain parts where they had lines that just felt unnecessary almost. Like they were just going for the laugh. You know, like there's one point where obviously one of the kids is kind of a wuss and he hurts himself and he's screaming out in agony before the other kid even has a chance to help him. And he's like, I haven't even done anything yet. And there are so many bigger issues around them that it just felt unnecessary to go for the laugh on that. I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's a wuss. So little things like that. But I guess I'm being nitpicky because overall I enjoyed it. Okay. You're nodding a lot, but you're not saying anything. Well, you know, I'm conflicted about this movie. Why? 
because Steven Spielberg, when I was a kid, he was like the man, the bee's knees, the bee's knees, as my mom used to say. You mean he was mint? He was mint. Ugh. Um, mint. I was born in 1980, so movies like E.T., Close Encounters, Jaws, um, The Goonies, which he was, he didn't direct, but he was executive producer on. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Explorers. Movies like that that were kind of in the same Spielberg, you know. Genre. Genre. Those movies were like... Those were the ones that got the most play when I was a kid. The color purple. The color you? purple. <laughs> oh yeah. That well-known story. Always film. too. Um, but <laughs> so to have someone come and pretty much like girl talk mash up all of the Spielberg films into one and have it be slightly less than good. I think the first time I saw it, like a week ago, I was kind of, maybe was a little bit too hard on it, but I think just the the fact that those films were so influential to me, and I've seen them so many times, if like a 10-year-old today saw Super 8, I could see them being really like over-jazzed about it, yeah. because they don't really have any knowledge of what came before. They have no threshold of experience. No threshold of experience. Yeah. So... In the end, I think the second time caused me to maybe like it a little bit more because I, was, I wasn't I was being so critical. The second time I was watching it, I was just like, okay, just cut, just like envelop me, Super 8. <laughs> I want to feel you. you know? But you really wanted to like it. You were looking forward to this movie before you saw it the first time. I want to say from the second the first trailer came out, but really before anyone had even mentioned it, you were finding the trailers on the internet and being like, Chrissy, look at this. Look at this. Look what I found on the internet. Yeah. Pat me on the back for finding this. <laughs> and, then you, and then you would do the clip. I'm the Indiana Jones of the internet. <laughs> I have unearthed this trailer. Wait, that's why you're the movie geek. And then you would play the trailer, and then afterward you'd be like, wow. Or, I can't wait. Or something equally as excited. I do things like that. It's true. You do. Um, but, yeah. It's part of your charm. I mean, it's 2011. There's not as many movies that just, you know, get you really excited about seeing it in the movie theater with an audience. Mm -hmm. Something that's not a toy or a remake or a... Reboot. Reboot or something stupid. You mean Transformers? Something kind of original, (laughs) even though it, it, again, is... An homage to earlier films. I mean, every movie's like that in some way. I think it's interesting that you mentioned The Goonies, because I know that is one of, if not your absolute favorite movie, parenthetically S, of all time. That's one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. So, were I mean, you... He, he, Steven Spielberg was uh, executive producer on Back to the Future, which is my favorite movie of all time. Okay. So, yeah. Steven so, Spielberg. Were you holding Super 8 up against Goonies, or, because I know a lot of people saw this movie and, and they were online going, this is like Goonies and Goonies is great. Or did you kind of feel the Goonies vibe? Well, that's the thing. The first time I watched it, I was thinking about all those other movies. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, it's like, there's so many things that are Spielbergian. Spielbergian? Spielbergian? Spielbergian about this movie. I mean, you got the the kid that's, 
you know, just lost his mother. Yeah. You know, in, in a lot of Spielberg movies, they're either the parents are divorced. Or absent. Absent, stuff like that. You got the monster that might be mis... Or alien who might be misunderstood. You have lens flares out the ass. Oh, so many lens flares. <laughs> Not... You know what? I really don't care about the lens flares anymore. I just I just accept it that it's part of J.J. Abrams. I was going to say, that's a J.J. Abrams-ism at this point. Um... Although, in this one, there's, like, lens flares at the darkest of night. Yeah. At one point, I, I thought, because they they don't show the monster or alien until late, late in the game. Similar to Jaws and how Spielberg did with Jaws. But I thought it was going to be, a, like, a, a lens flare monster. <laughs> <laughs> lots of limbs, lots of flashlights and lights. It's like, lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. I really thought it was indicative of the storyline. Like, I got to a point where every time I saw a lens flare or kind of like the, not infrared, but the ultraviolet blue light, I was like, oh, oh, the monster's here. The monster's here. He's coming. Lens flare. He's coming. I really thought it was like a plot point. And, I mean, <laughs> and we just watched Close Encounters, uh, Chrissy, yesterday for the first time. Me for, again, like the 12th time. But um, <laughs> that movie has a lot of lens flares, too, so... Yeah, not as much, though. Not as much. Yeah. And not as blatant in no. <laughs> uh, many regards. I think that these uh, directors and producers are just viewing lens flares as, you know, um, part of the space movie bag. You know, it's like... Hey, let's make Star Trek lens flares. Well, in, let's make in Star, movies in, lens flares. In Star Trek, it was more understandable because you have all these, you know, bright, shiny lights, futuristic. all this futuristic, sleek. And this one, it's like, oh, okay. Well, maybe they were trying to illustrate that the aliens are ahead and futuristic, and that's why they deserve the lens flare. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm just making things up. So you were alluding earlier. You were talking about Spielberg. You. I've pretty much seen all, not all of them, but many of the movies that That you mentioned. Yeah, that kind of fed into Super 8. Which is funny, because up until I met you and we started this whole movie geek thing, Uh I don't think I'd seen any of them. There you go. I I truly didn't even see E.T. until the re-release in theaters a few years back. Gosh, guys. I don't know what to say about (laughs) E.T. Like, there is one of those movies that I watch and I just... Totally, it's like... You slide back into time and you become four again? It's like uh, Xavier putting on that helmet. Oh, next like, Yeah, I'm just like, whoa. Like, all these, like, memories of, of watching the movie, of my childhood. Yeah. You know, I came from a divorced home, so the fact that th- that little alien wanted to visit that boy as a kid, I was like, come on, just visit me, just to say hello, I extraterrestrial. Did that, I did that earlier today when The Parent Trap was on television. I was noticing all these little things I didn't notice as a kid, which, by the way, it was one of my favorite movies growing up. The 61 version, by the way. It's a fine film. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm back to being six, and it was a great time. I'm sure she didn't win an Oscar for that. Haley? Yeah. She was really good. No, she was really good. That's yeah. a hard thing to do. I know, and they, I, that movie was ahead of its time, too, with how it, you know, um, filmed it and did the whole double, I don't know what the per, what the film word is for, but, you know, when, like, you have one person playing two parts. Nice. Yeah. Okay, well. Anyway, <laughs> back to Super 8. Let's, the, okay, what, what did we like about Super 8? Okay. Uh, I like the characters. I feel like they were all different. Um, some were more well-developed than others. You know, the, the group of kids... Three of them stood out, and two of them were just kind of there and saying the same things over and over again, i.e. the pyromaniac and the wuss. That's all they were, the pyromaniac and the wuss. 
whereas the other three of the five kids were more fleshed out. So I, I but I like them all anyway, whether they were fleshed out or not. I like them. Uh, I feel like the pacing was pretty good. There wasn't, at least for me, maybe not for you, but for me, mm-hmm. there wasn't really a point where I was like, this is happening really slowly. And it reminded me uh, of the movie we saw last week, X-Men uh, First Class, in that all of a sudden, the, the last third or so of the movie just kind of goes from zero to 60. It's like they, they spent all this time building and building and building, and the tension is there, and then all of a sudden it goes, bam, pedal to the floor, Wait, and are you saying going. similar to X-Men? Yes, so in you- that regard. Oh, I didn't think X-Men lost it in the last third. No, I'm, oh, I'm, I don't mean lost it. I mean, it just goes from zero to 60 in terms of the story moving along and then action coming into play. Uh, okay. Though, you yeah. bring up a good point because I feel like X-Men didn't lose it and Super 8 did a little bit. It unraveled. As opposed to, how do I put this? All right, I'm going to give you a little dance analogy. Um... If you have a girl in a wraparound costume and she does a whole bunch of Sinead turns and then you pull the thing. How is this analogy going to help me? You Just listen. And you imagine it's like a, okay, imagine big ribbon tied around her and then she like winds up and then somebody pulls it. So she spins out really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, X-Men, she spins out really fast and lands the turn. In Super A, she spins out really fast and spins too far out of the turn and falls out of the turn a little bit. But then writes herself. No dance analogy for you? He's nodding at me like I'm crazy. Totally get it because of that dance analogy now. I was thinking of Center Stage. She has a tutu and Rob. Again, I haven't seen Center Stage. We've talked about this. That's just such a travesty. That might have to be my birthday present that we do a podcast on the I know. Ballet How have I not seen this movie? I don't know. I don't know, Justin. How can you be married to me and not having seen this movie? But back to Super 8. Yeah. <laughs> so you like the characters. You like the pacing. I did. Uh, like I said earlier, one of the first things I mentioned was about the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like it was pretty quick, witty, snappy, uh, amongst the, the children especially. The writing amongst the adults left something to be desired, mm-hmm. the way they spoke to each other and the way they spoke to their children. But, you know, they were obviously secondary to what was happening with the kids anyway. But overall, I enjoyed the writing. Um, yeah, it, it just, I, it, you know, those pieces fell together for me. Okay. Well, uh, what did I like? I like the group of uh, kids. Yeah. They, they, you know, they were my favorite part about the movie, the group of the kids. And you, at the beginning, you said you thought it was disjointed. And watching it two times, I could pretty much point the reason that I don't like it as much as I thought it I would. It's because of the script and the way that it is, you know, way it's carried out. Okay. Because at the beginning we have these group of kids, and you really start to get to know the kids. They're filming this zombie movie on the Super 8 camera. Um, you have the girl who's really good, and then... Al Fanning. And then all of a sudden this monster slash alien thing comes up, and it's like it's a whole different movie. Yes. And so... And I was actually watching for the second time to see... Like, what is, what's, okay, we'd have, like, you know, a scene with the kids and a scene with, like, what's the monsters doing? Scene with the kids. And at the beginning of the movie, it was more scenes about kids. And then as it got farther into the movie, there was less scenes with the kids. And that was the whole, that was my favorite part about the movie. So, I mean, I, I thought the, the monster thing was kind of interesting, but not really at all. Like, it, yeah. 
It was a derivation from the relationships between the kids, and it became more about running away from the monster and saving one of their friends who had been taken by the monster. Like, minus the fact that uh, we, we lose the kids, the monster thing is is never quite scary enough, you know? There's, there's nothing really, really frightening about the way the monsters dealt with or... or picking out victims. Exactly. I, 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 it was kind of detoothed a little bit. Detoothed. Detoothed the monster. <laughs> so, at the end, the, you know, when I came back from the first show, I'm like, the, th- the last third of the movie just does it. That's where it all unravels. So the second time, it was more apparent that that, that's pretty much the case. That's pretty much the case. So at the end, there was two movies in one movie, and only one of them I really, really liked. So I completely Which was the kids' movie. Yeah. Like, you could have just taken out the kids out of the picture altogether and just have it be a movie about kids, you know, falling in love, making friends, making this zombie movie. And not even have the monster in it, and I would be like, "Oh yeah." That- you know what? You know what it is? It's like they took the kids from Goonies, and then they let the first half of that story play out, and then the powers that be literally plucked the the whole group from whatever wherever they were doing at that point in, in Goonies, and placed them in the last half of Tom Cruise's War of the Worlds. It went go. Well, War of the Worlds is another movie that is last third kind of ruins the movie. Right, but, so. but you know what I'm saying? It, that's kind of what it felt like in terms of the disjointedness. It's like, here's a character-driven movie. Now we're going to take the cast and put them in this situation all of a sudden. And then there's several times throughout the movie where I'm just like taking out, out of the movie altogether by like kind of, I guess they're nitpicky in some ways and plot holes, possible plot holes in the other, but... Like what? Um... The whole thing with the the military, mm-hmm. like every time the military came on screen, I was just like, "Oh man!" Like I get it. The military was a big part of Close Encounters. Right. The military's part in this film is similar to the way the military, you know, tries to shroud with secrecy everything that's going on, and you know, they drive people out of their town with these fires and stuff. Like, I mean, in Close Encounters, they did with the gas and all that stuff, but um. I just remember that one scene where it's they have the army guys saying we or military guys saying we've lost all control, you know, of the guns. Yeah, yeah. And, talk about, and I'm like, why don't you just stop, you know, loading the gun? Yeah, they're deflecting and shooting things we don't want them to shoot. I mean, it, it's just so weird to have that scene, you know, like tanks just firing off into the air and stuff after you find out that, that this alien monster actually spends most of his time below the ground. Yeah, yeah. And then he found out he was subterranean. I'm like, why are they all looking for him above ground then? Why are they burning things? Yeah, why are they just causing, like... Why aren't they in the sewers? (laughs) Somebody call the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, I don't know. I just thought that... I think I laughed (laughs) the second time. I was like, oh man, this is crazy. And there were a couple times where I glanced over you out of the corner of my eye, and you are just like, oh. Like, not making that noise, but that was your face, where you're just kind of like imperceptibly shaking your head like, oh, no, no. And then the second time, I was also counting um, the African-American speaking parts in the movie. Yeah. And uh, the first time I saw it, I was like, there's two black guys in the movie. Both, and I think both of them die. The second time I watch it, spoiler warning, three (laughs) African-American speaking parts, all dudes. It's a shame. One dude uh, dies at the front of a bus getting splatted by the monster alien. The other two black guys, 
one of them kills the other. The bad guys always die in the movies, but hey, <laughs> one, hey of them kills, one of them kills the other by like lethal injection before eventually dying himself. So that's zero percent, zero for three for the um, you know the, the black guys. guys in the movie. Hey, this movie takes place in 1979, Justin. Black people weren't heard of back then in movies. Although I did like the fact that the <laughs> the the one black guy who was ended up being like the the guy Perfect. that was trying to help. The alien slash monster. He was a teacher, but also a scientist. Also the teacher in Gremlins. Was he? Yeah, he was also the science teacher in Gremlins that uh, before everything comes amok, he gets Gizmo and his, you know, he's got, I don't know if it's Gizmo or one of the other uh, little mogwai in his like science class and it ends up killing him. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that you told me that because in my head the whole time I was watching him. Because he's kind of beat up, so it's not like I'm just looking at a normal person going, oh, I think I know who that is. Yeah, let's not, ever, let's not ever gloss over the fact, too. Like, how did that guy survive? That train crash? That train crash. I have no idea. Because it, it it's, like, it's almost like the train hit not just one tank, but like several tanks. Yes. But it was just a little pickup truck. Right. And he was so beaten up that I couldn't tell if it was Danny Glover or not wearing, like, a lot of stage makeup. <laughs> Poor Danny Glover. <laughs> so, I... Well, I'm getting too old for this shit. I totally forgot <laughs> to tell you, but the whole time I was like, is it? Is it Danny Glover? And I would, like, try to close my eyes and listen to him speak to try to hear the Danny Glover voice. And I'm like, it might be. No, it's not. But it might be. Color purple Danny Glover? <laughs> so that what you think? You're like, oh, here's the, you know, the nod back to the color purple. Oh no! The dad and then they back. kill them all. Oh right, yeah. Mister is back. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about the kids. Sure. Um, first of all, we got to talk about Fanning. This L. A- this L Fanning chick, who I think is in my cardio bar class. Really? Yeah. Wow. You should like dance next to her and be like, I thought you were great. It's she super danced. Great. If it is who I think it is, she danced in front of me one day, and the teacher called her by a different name, which I thought was interesting. Because I was like, she looks a little bit like Elle Fanning. And then I read an article that says like Elle Fanning's a huge fan of Cardio Bar, so oh. it might have been she. There you go. You need a buddy, buddy up next to her. She's, I'm a little old for her friendship. She's part of an empire. Come on. I'd rather be friends with Dakota. They're churning. There must be like a fanning factory. They're just churning these, these kids out, you know. Yep. And the, each each new one's more impressive than the last. Well, they did that with the Olsons back in the day. They can actually have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. I know. what Your younger sister is like becoming a huge actress. Elizabeth right. now. Yeah. See? Same thing. Olsen factory. Fanning factory. So what about Elle Fanning? What, what did you want to say? I think she was awesome. She dude. was fantastic. She was amazing. There, there's the one scene um, at the beginning. The whole train scene is just almost worth the price of a mission, just because it's you're just watching. You're just like, oh wow. You're shocked. It's like a a ride at Universal Studios almost. Better. Yeah, it's like a Universal Studios ride. It's like the Steven Spielberg ride at Universal Studios, and that's like the first corner, and there's a huge explosion, and El Fanning's. Pulling waterworks and making you feel like all emotional inside. I will say I was, you know, back up against the movie chair, jaw agape when they had that train sequence. I mean, there are train crashes and then there are mofo train crashes, like capital M F T C. I was like, it's a good thing this train station is out in the middle of nowhere because if Evidently. it wasn't, everyone would be obliterated, right? 
And I th- the kids are, like, running away, and there are these huge objects that's hurtling past them and then blowing up. And then, like, one of the kids is really close to something that says flammable, and it blows up, and yet he's okay. Yeah. Why is all these flammable things on this train? Yeah. Did they, did they not think ahead? And Rubik's Cubes, except white without their stickers. Exactly. Rubik's Cubes didn't really come into play until 1980, so these people were... Ahead of their time. Ahead of the curve and yeah. thinking they were cool. But Elle Fanning, pretty awesome. Yeah, she's really expressive in the eyes. Yes. She's got really the doe eyes, and like I said, she's really good at turning on a dime in terms of, you know, conveying emotions in the span of a scene. So. And may I just say, as having grown up as a blonde chick with blonde eyelashes and blonde eyebrows, it's harder to make emotions and, and things known when you, when you have blonde eyebrows and lashes because everything gets lost. Like, she's not even older as, a, you know, a woman wearing makeup where she can... It's just... It, it lends itself to expression. You know, she's totally makeupless in this unless she's being a zombie, which is part of their Super 8 film. And she is still so expressive, which is even more of a tip of the hat to her. And there's the fact that w- within the story... You, like I was watching it and empathizing with the the main kid and, of course, the kid that, the fat kid who was, like, the director and thinking, oh, yeah, I would have definitely liked that chick. And she would never would have talked, not only, you know, she would have been a part of my movie, but she wouldn't have talked to me at all, so. I thought of you with the fat kid. I was like, it's like Justin, but fatter. No, I would have been the combination between the fat kid and the, the main kid because they were both, you know. I did models when I was a kid. Did and, you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Were you meticulous? Um, like he's pretty meticulous about his painting, and he was like, there are like 13 different types of gray. It's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of. Wow. I didn't know that. But... I just learned something new. So yeah, Elle Fanning, the main kid, Joel Courtney, this was his first movie. He like had never done any kind of acting... Um, really? On in film or whatever so that's impressive he's very sympathetic he's very sympathetic very um natural yes in front of the camera so the the uh, it's true and it's funny because there's a scene where he has to quote act in character like he gets a cameo in the kids super 8 movie and he's terrible and it's hilarious because for a minute i completely forgot that we were watching the movie super 8 and this kid really can act because i was like ha <laughs> he can't act. That's really funny. And then I went, yo, wait, yes, he can. He's just pretending that he can't. Even better! Yes, and the fact that they actually showed the the film that they were shooting at the end of the movie, after, you know, during the credits. Yes, stay I was around. Like, I was like, oh, man, this is great. You know, I'm glad they put this on because if not, I would have been like, oh, that ending. Whoa. What a, yeah, it makes up for it. What a downer. Right. Well, I wouldn't say the ending is like a downer. I like the I like the um, the firecracker fireworks kid a lot more than you did. That's so, true. I was annoyed with him. <laughs> and then you had the the tall get, the kid with the glasses who threw up all the time. The wuss. Exactly. Yeah. And then you had the other kid who was, I guess, Jewish. No, wait. There were five. So there was the fat main the the fat the main, filmmaker. The main kid. The main kid. The fat kid. The guy Dakota, that... Dakota. I don't mean L. L. Yeah. The pyro kid. Yeah. No, there was... And then the wuss. The wuss. And yeah. then the other kid. There was, there another... was another one? Yeah, the other kid that when um, uh, Kyle Chandler, the dad character, was looking for the kids, he finds the, the, the that kid at the, like, where they have the, the bunks all set up. And he's like, 
you're going to tell me where they are, you know, blah, 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 so. Oh, that's right. He kind of got lost in the shuffle. So you're saying that the Jewish boy and the wuss weren't the same person? The wuss was tall kid with glasses that would puke all the time. I kind of thought they were the same person. There you go. (laughs) But as as a unit, you know, when they're hanging out at the cafe and talking or when they're singing uh, My Sharona. Oh, yeah. You you just, you're like, oh, these kids seem like they're friends. Seem, you know, yeah, I think so. They hang they talk, in a group. <laughs> they talk over each other, which kids do all the time. Seems natural. So, again, they were the best part about the movie. Agreed. Um, what else do we like about the movie? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Although we say it's disjointed, in I, another breath, there are parts that flow quite nicely. Yeah, there. Like I said, this train scene is is, is really good. Um, oh, man, <laughs> you look like you're just so frustrated. You're like, oh. Man. Yeah, and like I said, it's not like I hate this movie. It's just that I did not. I'm not thinking it's a masterpiece. You're not head over heels. I'm not head over heels. How so. do you feel about J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker versus like a TV guy? Um, I'm still not sold. Absolutely sold on him as a filmmaker because I still don't think he's done anything that's just truly comes from him. Like, he's done three movies. He's done Mission Impossible 3, mm-hmm. which kind of was like amalgamation of, like, stuff from other spy movies slash Bond movies. Yeah. You had uh, Star Trek, which, you know, I think was his best movie, but still, it's not, you know, a total original idea. And then he had this movie, which is just an homage to, you know, it's all about Steven Spielberg. So... His style makes me feel like, you to use your word, an amalgamation of... Blah, blah, of Kevin Williamson plus a dash of Michael Bay. Kevin Williamson is a writer. He's I know not, that. He's not a filmmaker. No, I know, but he wrote this movie. Not Kevin, obviously. J.J. Um, Abrams did. And some of the pacing of the writing reminded me of Kevin Williamson, so he's got like a touch of that. I think he's a better director than he is a writer, definitely. Yes. And um, and then, you know, with the explosions and stuff, it was kind of Michael Bay. Yeah, he's got, you know... Outside of the lens flares, he's got, you know, he uses movement to his advantage a lot in this movie. With the sweeping, you know, camera moves, and he does, like, the the great... There's a lot of cloud shots in this movie. Yeah, there are. Which are very... Like, you saw Close Encounters, and they used a lot of the sky shots in that, so... I will say he's good at filming at different angles, too. I think a lot of filmmakers forget about their angles sometimes and they just, you know, focus so much on either the close-up or the sweeping wide shot, they forget about different angles. Yeah, I mean, even when he was doing, like, Alias and he directed the the pilot for Lost, he was, you could tell that he was going to be very, he was very cinematic in the way that he directed things, so. Right. I think he's got, you know. He's got potential. He's got potential. Oh, let's hope that little J.J. reaches his potential. Um, Problems. What are our problems? Well, that we, we had? have already mentioned that the it scripts, was disjointed. The script, the things that kind of don't make sense. Um, the monster. Um, the monster. Yeah, you're right. The monster left something to be desired. I mean, I. It was very. It was very. It was kind of half baked. Yes. Um, yes, that's a good way of putting. It. I was going to say it's. I understand one hand not seeing the monster slash alien slash whatever the hell he is until towards you know later parts of the movie, but because. Especially at the end, I think you're you're supposed to really sympathize with this alien slash monster. Yes. And I was like, are you really letting him go? You know, he kind of like totally killed a bunch of innocent people. Um, 
coming from the audience perspective as opposed to actually sympathizing with this figure, like, I just feel like we're being told to sympathize with this figure. Yeah. Didn't you see his past? Yeah. He, you know, he was... He touched me. He was abused. Yeah. I mean, that's the Casey Anthony defense for this guy. Oh, please, let's not talk about Casey Anthony. No, but that's what it is. I was abused, so it's okay that I murdered some people. Well, man, dude, if, just take Alien Monster out of the picture. Say it's like a... Uh, a, a crazed killer on the loose. You know? Anthony. He was abused as a child. Now he's murdering all these people, but he wants to go home. Do we let him go home? Yes! Do we, you know, like, just wave him goodbye? Goodbye, crazed killer! Because he touched me and I understood. Yeah, if he's got this... <laughs> that's another half-baked thing. I was like, okay, that's interesting, but why is he, you know, taking all these people down to his lair and hanging them up and possibly... Well, he was eating. We he saw was, him eating, he was eating, them. eating a person. So... Did he? Did he touch that person to say, "This person's, you know, an asshole"? I'm totally, right. I'm totally going to eat this asshole. That's what, that's the part I because they always said they're like, I could feel all of his motivations and he could feel all of mine, and I was like, obviously he doesn't feel very good about the people he's touching and coming into contact with because he's like eating them. I mean, I could understand him wanting revenge and stuff, but the, the way he goes about it, I just don't understand. You know, take stealing people's microwaves and. He needed them for their steel. This is why it was in Lillian, the town of steel. I, I didn't figure that out, by the way, until like the very end when all the steel was being swept up. I was like, oh, that's it. Steel. Lillian is a town of steel. I get it now. And there was, like I said, there was just no really genuine scenes of where you felt suspense. Genuine? Genuine. <laughs> Riding my pony. Sorry. And I mean, there's a couple scenes that you're like, oh, this is kind of like Jurassic Park, but not really yeah. scary. Like the bus scene. The bus scene. That was definitely a Jurassic Park in. You're right. It absolutely was. And they failed. But yeah, I mean, that's throughout the movie. It's like, oh, this is like Close Encounters, but not as good. This is like the Goonies, but not as good. This is like... You know what the scariest part of the bus scene was for me? The fact that another black man died. No. No. Wondering whether or not the fat kid was going to be able to make it through the hole in the ceiling of the bus to get out. Oh, Like, well, that's indicative of how they failed in that regard. And so the kids... Like, is he going to get out? I mean, you have the kids in the monster story. You obviously think when you're watching this, you're like, they're going to cross and there's going to be some kind of, you know, action. Like, these kids are going to have to, like, fight this monster or something. And it never really happens that way. No. It's just like, the most that happens is a kid lights his firecrackers... As a, you know, distraction. And the... They run around some tunnels. The Spielberg fan of me is thinking, these these kids are going to have to kick this, you know, aliens or monsters ass. Especially when or they... Or outsmart Especially when he steals Elle Fanning. I was like, he just stole the best part of the movie. Go get her, fellas. And they're... <laughs> <laughs> what do they do? They go to the middle school or, like, the school and start watching movies. I'm like... <laughs> What are you wasting time? You know this, this thing's making noise. You don't you, you don't have to go like study all these films and stuff. Yeah, there were other times too where they were like really obvious in what they were doing or how they were loudly they were speaking. I was like, shh, the monster's right there. What are you doing? Or there's like so many scenes of them like going somewhere. Like they go into town and then they yeah. go out of town and then they go back into town. I'm like. What are you doing? Lane's trans not mobiles. All this traveling time. (laughs) You're right. And those are the weak points of the film. However, even with all of these things that we're mentioning, I I would uh, 
hesitate to say that it's unenjoyable. I still think it's an enjoyable movie. That's, you know, the theme park ride thing, that's the best way I think I can explain it because, you know, you can go on the E.T. ride at Universal Studios and the whole time you'll be like, oh, this is a familiar feeling. I love this. But in the back of your mind, you're like, you're like, okay, I'm not in the movie, <laughs> you know. So maybe you're not, but I am. No. It's like you're you're at the nostalgia cotton candy machine. You're just like you're getting you know the the the, can, the cotton candy wrapped around, and then you eat it. And you're like, oh, this is great, and then you're like, oh, maybe not. I was thinking of Anchorman. He's like, milk was a bad choice. How did we get on that? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. So, Super 8... Let's talk about the ending real quick. Yeah. So, you're supposed to care about this ending. I think they want you to cry. I think they do, too. But I was, like, laughing, almost. I wasn't laughing, but I was kind of pissed. Well, I didn't understand... Like, the whole theme of the movie seems to be, you gotta let go of the past, you know? Mm. Let go of the past to, you know, move be on. the be move on, be the new you. And the alien, I guess, he wanted to... Like, <laughs> I don't know what his intentions were, but I get, get home. But was the kids did this, was the kid supposed to forget about his mother? Yeah. And, and the whole thing with the locket, I was just like, so you're gonna take his locket? This I is like this pissed. is like this is like stealing El Fanning out of the middle of the movie. Why take his locket? That is, he's it's only been four months and he's supposed to move on from his mother's death. Yeah. And what does that have to do with the alien? Like, Nothing. Like bad things happen. Like this. That it was thing, an accident. That comes up in a very, very, you know, prime point in the movie. Bad things happen. Accidents happen. Well, maybe for the kid, but, you know, the accidents happens might cover the abuse of the alien, but it's not covering him going on a rampage and, you know, eating slash cutting out the power. Hey, hey, Justin, bad things happen. Dude, bad things happen. I know. Bad why didn't all those other people that the alien slash monster ate, why didn't they just say that? Then they could have... You know, save themselves. Yeah, but I'm with you about the whole locket thing. I mean, it's obviously a running theme in the movie that this kid really wants to keep. It's the whole reason the prologue exists. Yes. Like, like the second time watching it, I was like, this prologue kind of sucks. You know? It's in the snow. They have that one shot with the sign, you know, only one day since the last accident. I'm like, right. does oh. this prologue exist because of that sign and that locket? Because you should have started with, you know, the kids are making a, a monster movie. The kid lost his mom, you know, a long time ago. That's it. That's all you need. But the prologue is just like, ugh. But it becomes very apparent that the kid needs the locket. He just needs the locket. And then at the end, when they just, like, float it out of his hand, I'm like, are you kidding me? That and the whole thing with the dads. There's supposed to be, like, an arc with the dads where they were assholes slash just alcoholic drunks. But now they've seen the error of their ways and they, you know, they want to embrace their children. And I was like... Not, neither of those ones are really earned. No. When you look at the movie or, you know, how the, the dads... I don't know. I'm I just, agree. I was just like, ugh. <laughs> oh, you have dar- to have a happy ending, Justin. Oh, darn. That's the way it works. So, final grade for Super 8? Um, I think I gave it C+, plus first time. Second time, I'd probably give it C+, plus, like B-. minus. It's teetering on that edge right there. Uh, I think I'll learn to, like, like it more. As just like a, you know, oh, it's on HBO. Yeah. Watch it. You know, the good parts. Before the last third. I'll yes. just cut it out before the last third. I would give it a B just for the good parts alone. But I agree with you in that I would probably just watch it on HBO and then, you know, watch the good parts. 
I'm with you on that, but just for the higher grade. I kind of want to rewrite it and like fix, do my own mashup of J.J. Abrams' mashup of Steven Spielberg. That would be funny. You could put it on YouTube. L. Fanning's The Hero. Yes. You know? The kids yeah, are actually through the, throughout the whole movie and they have things to do. You know, one of them just. The, the the house they're in, for some reason, I don't even know why they're in the house, explodes and the kid's got, oh no, he hurt this bowl, his leg. You guys got to stay behind. Blech. Well, why did y'all go in? <laughs> One kid throws up. <laughs> so, oh well. Anyway. Anyway, it de- definitely worth going and seeing the theater. So. I agree. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You've never seen it. You no. saw it yesterday. Mm-hmm. What did you think? My first thought was, if this is Close Encounters of the Third Kind, what are the Close Encounters of the First and Second Kind? Ooh. No, I'm serious. Like, I think there is a such thing as Close Encounters of the First Kind and the Second. I just don't know what they are. Well, Close Encounters of the Eighth Kind is this weird alien-sized monster thing with lots of legs. What? Super Eight. We just. Super oh. Eight. oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's really witty and funny and good. Good on. No, we're the first kind. The second kind is non-humans, like animals and plants or something. Oh, is it? I think you're right. I think that's what it is. I I, I I actually think you're right. I still always assumed. Again, this is one of those movies I watched several times as a kid, and, you know, I didn't quite understand all, you know, the portions of it. Right. Close Encounters. And and it's funny because, even though I'm an adult, but because I'm seeing it for the first time, I feel a little bit like your childhood incarnation in that I probably didn't understand all of it, but I got most of it. I know you didn't understand the ending as much because you did the old regular Chrissy and went... Well, I didn't snore, but I was starting to conk out. But in my defense, can I just tell you that from the minute the alien ships start landing on that little airstrip that they made on top of the mountain to when it all finally comes together and ends, it was like 25 minutes of them waiting. And it was just quiet. And there's no dialogue. And all you hear is the tonal things of... Or something like that. And I'm like... That one. Yeah, Chrissy comes from the school of Independence Day. It's my favorite alien movie. Yeah. So to have something as slow and as ponderous as Close Encounters. No, and... and It's just a different kind of alien movie. You could be slow and ponderous for the first two-thirds, and there were moments that lagged, but appropriately. Where, yeah, it was, as you said, ponderous. (laughs) Love that word. But that whole last 25-minute segment, I mean, holy crap! Just get on with it already. Just do well, just do me already. Like, you, you got me all sexed up and like, it's time to do me and you're like, hey, I think I'll just wait a little bit. I'm like sitting there watching the ship and hearing, it's like the NBC tones except with a few extra over and over. It is a little bit. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Are you saying NBC is run by aliens? Yes. No. It's not a peacock, it's an alien. <laughs> It all makes sense. <laughs> it does, actually. It should be more successful if run by humans. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like that. And I know at one point you were like, Chrissy, Chrissy, don't fall asleep. And I steeled myself and peeled my eyelids back so I could, you know, watch. And then it just continued to lag. And there was no dialogue. And I was just like, I mean, literally, no sound. It was dead silent at some point. So the lowering of your eyelids were pretty much a protest. You're like, sorry, Closen. <laughs> no, it was like, please let somebody say something to keep me awake. Please let somebody say something. 
Well, okay. Close Encounters is one of those movies from my childhood that I strongly remember frightening me. Like well, the first yeah, couple I times say, I saw it. Like, it freak you out as a kid. The the scene that sticks, you know, prominently is the the whole scene at the little farmhouse with the mom and the kid mm-hmm. who you know, when when this whole room starts to come alive with power, he doesn't like freak out. He's just like hmm. Toys. This know. is interesting. Yeah, this is great. Let me wander down this, you know, the road, the grassy knoll. Right he had over. big feet for that kid. He was wearing. I was like, what's wrong with his like eight feet? <laughs> you know, you said that kid's got big feet, and what did I say? Bigfoot. No. No. What'd you say? I was like, you should see his penis. Oh, you did, and I was like, oh my god. But he's like forty years old now. So and then I was like, I "Thank God that. he only said that to me, and no one else was here to hear it." And then, oh no, he repeated himself on the podcast. It's a joke that's not funny, guys. Come All on. six of you, Come don't on. protest after hearing that, please. But yeah, that whole scene where he, you know, wanders out the doggy door and his mom loses him. As, as, as a kid, I was like, "Stay away from the doggy door right? in the case of an alien invasion." Not only that, but I was pissed at her for not being able to like keep him inside she was you know shutting down the chimney shutting down things when at one point and like, like why is not she yelling at him she wasn't she was just like you know ultra consumed with keeping things closed and then the kid like wanders off and starts climbing out the door and she didn't like yell at him like don't do that don't open the door stay here well she also didn't wake up like when his whole room is you know everything's on coming out you know like the monkey yeah i don't think he had a baby monitor anymore so that probably had something to do with it but she lives on the moon nowhere he thought she that whole scene is great the uh, you know the mom is melinda dillon who's the mom from uh christmas story is she oh my god you might be right yeah she's great i liked her much better in a christmas story (laughs) in this movie i couldn't get over how she called her kid all the time and how she drew pictures of the mountain in Wyoming. Both both Christmas Story and Close Encounters of Third Kind feature a character, um, you know, playing with their mashed potatoes. Yes. So. <laughs> they do? Wait. Yeah. Show mommy how you eat it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Show, do it the little pig face. I love the little piggy. Like, like, what does a pig say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is what a pig says. So that scene, and just Richard Dreyfus in particular, because I was a huge Jaws fan, and then the, there was this that was directly after Jaws. Um, I think Spielberg, yeah, he did this directly after Jaws, and I was just like, wow, he's great. Right. No, he is pretty great. And can I just tell you, if I would have seen this as a kid, uh, the tonal you know, music that they come up with, the little five chord, and um, the, the lights that they use to correspond to each tone... Would have freaked me the f out as a kid. Would have freaked me out. It like I'm I'm imagining my childhood self watching this, and I would have peed my pants, possibly my pampers. You would have because that's freaky. That I don't know what it was. It, it, the aliens themselves are less freaky as something in the unknown or in the abyss communicating via these weird chords that aren't quite language. Yeah. The NBC alien in the sky. <laughs> what You're watching Community. <laughs> or it doesn't. It's like you're like you look up in the sky and you hear, it and then all of a sudden you hear, you wake up in the morning and you. 
What if, say about the bell. Justin, what? what if the NBC peacock isn't really a peacock, but is like a technicolor alien turkey? A technicolor alien turkey. <laughs> a tat? The dreaded tat? <laughs> And, the, and we all think it's peacock, but it's really not. And if a real one came down and visited us, it would be, first of all, it would be huge. It would be like nine feet tall and weigh two tons like a car. And when it does its little turkey gobble, it can shatter windows. <laughs> it's like the, the stoner out of Super 8 just came out and gave you that comment. Chokes are bad. He's great. I can get into disco. Yeah. Again. <laughs> um, no, a monstrous, you know, peacock would be very... <laughs> turkey. Fried turkey. Technicolor. Technicolor turkey. Yeah. Tat. Tat. But back to closing out of their kind. Yeah, so there were certain parts that worked for me. I thought found it interesting that these people were kind of crazily compelled to either make drawings or sculptures in their living room. You were very upset by this. You're like, why are they doing this? It wasn't explained. I was like, they just felt the urge. They're like artists. Yeah, she said, like, he felt the urge. I'm like, what do you mean he felt the urge? He's like shoveling bricks through his window. Oh, come on. That whole sequence with him, you know, his family has left him, but yeah. gosh darn it, he's going to get all this crap in his... He's going to steal the duck's wire. Yeah, really? And he went crazy, too. Like, he made a sculpture and then just sat there and looked at it and was like, what does it mean? It's pretty impressive. Yeah, but not if you don't know what it means. Like, I don't make something just because I don't want, I want to know what it is. Like, I, I find out what it is first and then decide if I want to make it. So the dad character, you know, throughout the movie, you were like, what is he doing? Right. Why? Why is this happening? At the end, um, I know you were sleepy, but did you fault him for leaving his entire family behind? Well, they left him first, so it's kind of an eye for an eye sort of thing, I guess. It's like, well, they left me, so I guess I'm going to leave them. In your face, kids. Right. A wife and three kids. Right. And the wife really made the decision. It wasn't even the kids. So, he just, yeah. He well, I mean, me. if that was, put your put yourself in her place. If I was building this thing in our kitchen or whatever, or and not room, explaining anything, and not explaining anything, you would would you take your kids to my sisters or whatever? I probably would. I'd be and like, and we're going to Kristen's. Yeah, goodbye. And I'd be like, well, in your face, Chrissy and my three kids, because I'm going on the ship and I'm never coming back. <laughs> or he just felt the need to go because it was kind of like a. I give you some people back to Earth. You give me some to take on my spaceship. And he was like, well, no one else is volunteering. Well, a few are, but not enough. So I guess I'll go. Maybe he just felt compelled. And then the, he, then the first guy comes out and he's like, you see the guy. <laughs> he whips up the spaceship. I think he just felt compelled much in the way that he did to make the stupid sculpture in his living room. Like, I don't think he really thought it out or knew what he was doing. Just like, like again, he made the sculpture in his living room and was like, what does it mean? I, it was the same kind of blind faith in this. It was like, got him to the spaceship. And he went, okay. And then went. Without, by the way, any dialogue. Right? What was he supposed to... Was he supposed to, like, turn into Andrew Dice Clay? Like... No. <laughs> what the crap are you, you... You aliens? Yeah, aliens. You know what? I hate women, too. Bada bing. Forget them. Let's get on this big ship. Have man time. You saw my sculpture? Yeah. <laughs> 
turned you on, huh? No, I kind of expected Take me away, to, aliens. I expected to turn to Jillian, at least, and have a Casablanca moment or something. Be like, we've been through so much, but I must do this. I have to go. I, I mean, if, 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 you know, you're picked out of all the human race to go up in the spaceship, I guess you're kind of <laughs> obligated. Beholden? Uh. Well, obviously, everyone else, including the dog, came back unharmed, so you know they're not going to kill you. And the fact that they obviously, you know, loved him enough to take him, he could just say, okay, let's just go for, you know, a couple weeks. A couple weeks vacay. Can you take me to that giant turkey in the sky? The tat, they call it. Because we're down the street. I heard it's really a TV channel. All of a sudden, you know, him and the aliens are just like rolling in the deep in space. (laughs) Rolling in the deep with the technical turkey. (laughs) That's not turkey. You do the turkey good. Yeah. You were more like a chicken, but who had been drugged. (laughs) I know. I was very confused. You're like a chicken waking up from the sleeping powder that they apparently does. Is there anything you didn't like about Close Encounters besides the ponderous... The last 20 minutes? 30 minutes. And I think I... I'm not quite sure, but I think we might have seen the director's cut. We might have. Either way, they're both good. Um, The Dreyfus was good, but I felt like the other actors all left something to be desired. I mean, the kid's a kid. Whatever. He's in the movie all five minutes anyway. But Melinda Dillon you didn't like again? No. And it's funny. Terry Gar? No. And I like the, I like them both separately. I've seen Terry Gar and other things, and I like Melinda in Christmas Story, but they left something to be... They were just kind of whiny women in this. Like, well, I just feel compelled. To their credit, they, they're not really given tons of do. No, they were outside what of, they have. Outside of reacting, you know, the, the, the wife reacting to Richard oh. Dreyfus. Or the mom reacting to, you know, where'd my kid go? Oh. Oh. <laughs> one was all. The other one was all. Okay. <laughs> like, that's the extent of their acting in this, you know? One is like, I wear jean shorts, baby. And the other one's like, if you don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to leave. Roy. 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 And they all say Roy a million times. Roy. Yeah, this, Roy. Had, this had the whole Titanic thing of. Jack. Jack. Rose. Jack. Rose, this way. Who was it that we that talked about that on that podcast about? Uh, sloppy about Albert things, Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks said it was slo- a sign of sloppy writing. Yeah, and, and I agree. But they, yeah, she does say Roy a lot. Roy, Beverly. <laughs> I couldn't get over that. Listen to it again, you guys. When she's chasing your kid to the field, by the way, in jean shorts, and she's not even moving at a fast clip. She's just kind of like trying gen- generally follow his point of direction. They called jorts. What? Jean shorts, jorts. Sure, or you know they're cutoffs, and like she runs into some creepers. If it were me and I ran into some creepers on the side of the road, my three year old was missing. I'd be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, you didn't like the creeper guy that lo- that also saw Bigfoot creeper and his threesome of bevy of chicks. Just, they had. Oh yeah, they were real. They were chicks. They were hefty. <laughs> Farm fed, right? Yeah. And I just kind of kept pointing. I was like, "Creeper, who doesn't run into these people and then be like, I really have to find my son,' as opposed to just being like." Hi. And then standing there for a couple of minutes until you see your kid in the side of the road and then go in slow motion. And then like swiping him out of the way. Oh, man. Um, honestly, I don't know why it reminded me of it, but it reminded me of Contact. And I like Contact much more. Oh, yeah? With Jodie Foster. Hmm. I really like that movie. When it's on, I watch it. 
It's like Selena for me. Selena was on the other night and I watched it again. Did she die again? I didn't make it that far. I fell asleep. <laughs> she almost didn't die in your mind. And then I went to sleep and she was alive in my dreams. But I made it to the point where her husband, not husband, her father, um, Quintiniera or whatever he is. Quintiniera, I can't remember. Quintiniera! He makes her a superstar and she sings, I could fall in love. That one. A bitty bitty bum bum. I'm going to put a hiatus on the talk of Selena, Titanic, Center Stage, Moulin uh, Rouge. Why? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> boo, boo, boo. So what will be your your final grade for Close Encounters of the Third Kind for the first time? C. C? Yeah. Wow. It was okay. It would have scared me as a kid, but it's also dated. It's really dated. It doesn't hold up as well. Although, looking back, the fact that it was made, what, 75, 76? Special effects are not too bad. I mean... No. Yeah. No, I agree. I actually agree, especially with that last laggy part. It still looked good. Get to the point! Honestly! I only have so much life left in me! Anyway... Wow. Well, I'm glad you at least finally watched it. What was your grade for it? For Close Encounters? Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's like an A, A minus. What? And, and again, you have to... It comes in the... I've seen it so many times. It was a seminal movie when I was a kid. It's a classic, man. It's just movies like that where I watch it and I go, God, it would be so different if they did it now with cell phones and the internet. Like, there's a whole scene dedicated to finding the latitude and longitude, and they have to find a globe. What is this globe thing? (laughs) Why can't they just go to Google Maps and find it? Right. And they have to, like, wheel it out, and it takes, like, a cartographer and another guy to, like, use their index fingers. I'm like, what if they get it wrong, man? They're doing this manually. Like, what if one of his fingers, like, derivates to Africa, and then they're like, oh... Let's go to Libya. No. See, this is what I'm scared of when we, if I were to like show you a double feature from the 60s. I like, have some issues. You just, you know. Parent trap, I'm good. <laughs> wow. One down. Okay, well, there you go. All right. That was a great double feature of Super 8 and Close Encounters of Third Kind. Well done, Justin. High five. Medium high five. Medium medium five? medium five. Medium five. But yeah, I guess that's the end. I had a little kid who turned four the other day who I love, and I had her give me a high four instead of a high five. Was she missing a digit? No, she was turning four years old. So oh, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> high four. She did it. We need to think of like a closing line that we do like every podcast. Thank you for stopping by. Um, Stay classy. Nah, like something more nonsensical. Well, we'll need to come up with it and come back. For now, I'm not going to do that. Yes, the imitation of our dog that nobody can hear because it's a visual. That works really well as a send-off. Nicely done. Till next week. (laughs) See you later, guys. (laughs) 